Welcome to the CMR Podcast. I'm Michelle O'Connor, President and CEO of CMR Institute. CMR is a not-for-profit educational organization providing training to the life sciences industry that enhances healthcare and empowers today's sales professionals. We've created a podcast series to help you develop a new customer approach for the market you serve. In this episode, we discuss how to best work with fully integrated healthcare systems. We'll hear from experts Todd Sennard, Manager of Clinical Contracts and Strategic Sourcing at Allegheny Health Network, and Alistair Barrow, CMR's value-based selling expert. We are all aware of the um, challenges we're faced with every day in working in the new healthcare environment. Uh, One of those is how do we work with the fully integrated health delivery network? Uh, It's becoming more and more critical that we understand uh, the background behind fully integrated uh, healthcare systems and understand how to navigate that system uh, so that we don't uh, continue to face the challenges we do in uh, in selling to them. Um, so today we're going to go through a little bit of the background. How did this come to be uh, where you have a fully integrated network where uh, a provider is getting together uh, with a payer system in Highmark Health? Um, some of the challenges that vendors face in dealing with the IDNs um, now uh, and all the different um, uh, committees that they have involved in uh, putting together programs and deciding what products and services are brought into the hospital system. Uh, how do you navigate the current IDN? And how do you bring additional value outside of just pricing? Uh, because as we all know, we're, we've reached a point now where uh, we have to prove ourselves in more than just the price of our uh, um, and the uh, efficiencies of our products. Uh, and then uh, provide some additional tips uh, for providing value to the healthcare system. So with that, I'll turn it over to uh, Todd Center uh, to take uh, take over from here. I appreciate that, Alistair, and thank you for the introduction. <clears throat> and really kind of what we're seeing right now is it's a paradigm shift. And, you know, just some brief background on me is I actually came from the medical device sales field. And so I have the unique benefit of being able to see the nuances from both sides of the table. And so I'm very happy to share that with you today. When I first entered the sales field, it was it was still very much a fee-for-service model. Doctors' relationships governed everything. And as all you, you as you are all aware, that the only constant in healthcare is that it's always changing. So now we're moving away from that fee-for-service model, and we're moving into more of a value-based healthcare model. So you might ask yourself, what are the differences? Well, in the, fee-for, in the old fee-for-service model, the payer really never interacted with the provider. It was very much a time where we used the term clinically acceptable a lot, and really it was just coming down to winning a pricing war. The focus wasn't on overall procedural costs or readmission rates or the long-term quality of the life of the patient. Whereas value-based care, it's really it's completely flipped that fee-for-service model on its head, and it aims at making providers increasingly accountable for positive patient outcomes. So really that value-based care, it seeks to measure the long-term effects of the patient's recovery. So no more are the times of just winning a price battle and you're in my system. Each department within the within an IDN system, and I'm not speaking just to doctors anymore, I mean each department is now looking at every aspect of the device that comes in and out of the health system. This can include white papers, patient outcomes, trial data, reimbursement schedules, upcoming reimbursement schedules, even risk share models. So in lock and step with value-based care, it's re- we, what we've really seen is an increase in the formation of IDNs. So your functionality of every IDN may differ, but more than likely they're all gonna include your acute care facilities, 
your long-term care, your specialty practices, primary care, and home services, all of these being supported by an owned or managed healthcare plan. So the aim of the IDN is really triple aim, better, provide better care, better health, and at a lower cost. So IDNs are integrated across all settings, meaning that all the necessary patient information is gonna follow that patient throughout the entire care process. So this allows for the patient to be cared for in the least restrictive setting at the lowest cost. It also integrates all the specialties. So for those vendors that dabble across multi-different categories, what we're doing is we're bringing all those specialties together to really bear the responsibility of the patient. So patients are no longer, and I use the quote term owned, but they're rather shared responsibility of the entire health system. So you could ask yourself, how does this affect me? Well, AHN, for example, and a lot of the ideas across the country, we're now creating product committees to bring in new products or to look at existing products in the system. And these are comprised of multiple physician di disciplines. And really, these physicians are making the clinical decisions on what products are allowed in and which products are getting kicked out. So you may have the clinical buy-in from one physician, but maybe you don't have the financial buy-in from the others from a different specialty within the group for that particular project. Therefore, your project can inevitably be, be killed right there on the spot. Um, I mean, one example that kind of, that always stands out in my mind is silver tip catheters. Uh, we could, you could have a physician that loves vendor A, very comfortable using their silver tip catheter, but when during that meeting process, you could have infection control come in and say, look, we're not seeing as many HAIs or hospital acquired infections between using silver tip catheters and non-silver tip. So we could see financial decrease by moving away from the silver tip catheters. And again, I just use that as an example, but it just shows you how one specialty can be your, your, your champion, but that same group can kill your project all, all within that same group. So as pairs are becoming more and more integrated, um, I'm sorry, with, as pairs become more and more integrated with providers, just outside reimbursement, pairs are looking to collaborate more with providers to bring down the cost to the patients. So one example is with Highmark, we're seeing expanding analytical capabilities by Highmark helping us develop tools to provide physicians with real-time geographical data, reimbursement updates, claim history for specific geographic areas. And what it does is it creates more transparency so the physicians can now view, can view patient trends and incidents for its patients. And it really allows us to make real-time decisions based around clinical care management. So as IDNs grow and continue to formulate throughout the country, you're gonna to continue to see a lot of new challenges and there's gonna be a lot of challenges facing vendors. So as healthcare changes, so are the challenges that you're going to face. In systems across the country, they're either buying or they're building hospitals. Some areas are fighting it tooth and nail as they inch towards consolidation, while other areas in the country are sprinting. So to provide value, you as a device manufacturer, you must employ strategies to maneuver the complexities of these, of these environments. Because what they say is if you know one IDN, then you know literally one IDN. Because each geographic area, faces its own pressures to consolidate. Um, for example, the Washington DC market, it's still relatively low for consolidation, where about five or so major health systems are competing in the acute care space. 
Whereas conversely, you have Western Pennsylvania, which is consolidating faster than manufacturers can keep up. And due to recent acquisitions in the area, now roughly 80% of the Western PA market is literally controlled by two major health systems. And how does this affect you? <clears throat> so it directly correlates to the amount of negotiating leverage that an IDN has on its vendors. And really it's the IDN's ability to absorb or deny new vendors into the market. Um, so two good examples that usually come up within our system is ortho-related products or cardiac rhythm management. These are really two great examples of how this can affect you. And again, like I said, these are just examples. But if you have a system that already already controls 40%, 40 to 50% of the patient market in that geographic area, and say they just awarded a sole source vendor agreement, all other vendors in that category can literally be locked out for a large share of that market for the next two to three years, and some instances even up to five years. So another another challenge that vendors are facing is the structural shift to vertical integration. And when I say vertical integration, what I mean is the provider owns or manages its own health plan. And it's really different from CS, CMS's value-based care initiatives in the sense that the payer, the payer and provider interests, they're not just aligned, they're literally one and the same. So providers that offer their own health plan, they really have an incentive to drive patient volume with favorable premiums to their own facilities. Vertically integrated providers, they'll need to cut costs from care for the entire episode of care, including your spending on your medical devices and new medical technology. This is what helps keep their costs at a reduced rate. So in this environment, you guys as manufacturers, you need to expect re reduced reimbursements per device, therefore cost reduction or uh, reduction in utilization. And the third challenge that we see coming up is, is vendor-based care is it's creating alignment of financial interest between the payment provider. The initiatives such as, uh, for example, CMS's bundled payment initiative, it's shown early success in bringing down healthcare costs through reduced hospital readmissions, hospital-acquired infections, and spending on medical procedures. But when readmissions and infections are down, that uh, specifically correlates to device utilization. So you'll see a decline in device utilization because with fewer revision processes needed, we're simply just buying fewer and fewer products. So it's good for the patient, could be bad for manufacturers. So, but there's ways that we can help and we can help drive utilization. So as we try to navigate the current IDN, what you see in front of you here it's a flow chart. Of, it's, this might not be your exact IDN that you call on, but it's going to be a good representation of 90% of the IDNs out there. Um, if you start in the upper left-hand corner, that's really square one for the vendors. That's going to be your vendor engagement, engaging the physicians, working with your surgeons, creating product champions, getting that want or that need for the product into the system. After that, you're either going to go straight to a product trial or evaluation, or you might require the approval of a product committee prior to then. Upon the approval of a product committee, it could either then go to either a new contract or the product trial afterwards, depending on which part in the process that this is required. So hopefully the easiest route is that you're already preferred vendor and 
you already have an existing contract. If that's the case, then it goes to the right-hand side where it's simply it's the vendor working with their contract manager to get the new pricing loaded into the contract repository. And, you know, let me back up to the product trial. I really rely on my vendors and my true partners to help me guide, guide me through this process. Um, you know, I cover almost 200 different contracts within the cardiovascular space just myself. So I can't be an expert on every product. I rely on my vendors to bring that knowledge to me, whether it's facility level financials, system financials, um, your reimbursement rates, cost per procedure, current usage in the system or neighboring institutions, estimated new product use, clinical outcomes, or helping with the standardizing process. These are all things that I rely on my vendors and the information to help provide me to help get your own product through the VAT team approval and the product trial phase. Now, if a new, co new contract's required, we also rely on the vendor's help to navigate that process. And then we move to the left-hand side where it's either a new product, new contract, or a conversion's required. And you'll see everywhere that I have colored in is where I'm, I'm hoping my vendor is gonna wanna partner with me and really help me through this process, whether it be providing the crosswalk of the purchase history, training, educating my staff, our nursing coordinators, or education coordinators, spending time in the facility, um, helping materials management, update PAR, uh, PAR stock, storeroom conversions, um, helping our distribution, if it's applicable to the IDN, help with their shelf stock conversions, and then helping us work with supply chain IT to make sure that all your products are active and loaded in the system for ordering. And I apologize, I had to clear my throat here. So, like I said, this is, this is gonna be your framework for how the life cycle of a product into an IDN. This could take anywhere from a few days to a couple of weeks, all the way up to a few months or even longer. It all depends on the type of product you're working on, how much of a conversion is gonna be needed, and how honestly how much assistance you can provide to your contract manager in the in during that time to help speed along the process um because you said i mean i might only be responsible as a contract manager i might only be responsible for half of these but i can kill your project at any time along this process so that leads me into how you can bring value as a vendor um the biggest thing, the biggest, the biggest tip I can give to vendors is know your, know your contract manager. Um, if you don't have that direct relationship, work with your key account manager to get in there, to meet them, to really understand the commodity. Um, really what it does, it's going to help you better understand the landscape and the complexities of the current contracts in place, uh, as well as it. It, it helps build trust so you can begin aligning your goals with the goals of the contract manager and the health system. And it's going to ultimately, it's going to help you drive more utilization, secure more long term business, as well as gain business that you didn't even have before. So um, I'll pause there. Does anyone have any questions? No? 
Okay. Uh, so one question I get a lot from vendors is, what do I do if I'm contractually locked out? Well, the good news is you still have hope. So if you are contractually locked out of a category within a system, a few tips that I could give you are ensure that the current contracts in place all contain clauses around either IDE or clinical trial studies, new technology clauses, or that if you have that report built with your contract manager, you can help write in product carve-out clauses saying that your, your device is unique and that the use of that device would not count against compliance of that contract. These are going to help you get little wins here and there and help you remain relevant until the next RFP process. Majority of the time, even full source contracts, they still allow for 10% plus, maybe even up to 20 or so worth of compliance wiggle room. So really make sure you're engaging the end users to gain the business within that compliance window. So when the term of that contract comes to an end, you're not left in the dark with no presence. And therefore, you wouldn't have any traction during the RFP process. And I, I see this a lot. And, you know, I live this coming from the sales side as well as I'll, I'll have a vendor say, we didn't have a presence in that territory. We haven't had the contract for three or so years. Honestly, it, if, if it comes down to that, you're probably not going to get the contract on the next term either because our physicians are not comfortable with your products. They're not comfortable with your service. So what I would, I would suggest is schedule quarterly or semi-annual business reviews, work with sourcing to gauge insight on the current contracts in the landscape, work with your end users that have, um, work with your end users to see if you can play within that compliance window and get your products in the hands of the physicians or the nurses so they have some familiarity with it the next time an RFP process comes up and they're not looking at you like you have three heads and they've never seen you before. You also may find that by doing this, that end users are starting to have issues with products or service. Because um, a lot of contracts, we will write in uh, clauses for such events. So if there are back order issues, then we can purchase from any vendor and it does not count towards compliance. So there is still opportunities for you, even if you are, and I say, quote, contractually locked out of an IDN. And if all else fails, one of the good things that payer provider systems do offer um, is that they employ their own value programs, and these programs typically aim at directly working with device manufacturers. Um, so, excuse me, I'm sorry. <clears throat> so if we take a look, for example, on the, on the next slide, the vital program with AHN and Highmark, the vital program at Highmark, it aims to leverage its position as really we're one of the biggest IDNs in the nation. And our aim is to accelerate novel technologies and services made available to our patients. We use this program as a test bed and it's designed to facilitate early use of technologies that although they've already received regulatory approval and they're approved for patient use, a lot of commercial payers are not yet reimbursing for them. So Vital was set up and designed to be that missing link between FDA approval and device full and devices full reimbursement. Another example of why you should seek out these programs within your IDN is another program that I had the pleasure of working with is the Mayo Clinic Ventures program. So some of the most influential devices have been developed at medical institutions just like Mayo. Uh, for example, nearly every MRI machine contains Mayo Clinic technology. So it's these large institutions that 
we want to share our resources and our technology with you because ultimately it benefits the patients and it benefits the medicine. It's these types, these types of programs, they're not like your typical tech, technology transfer types of programs. Really, they seek to form product collaborations. Um, it helps the vendors mine the health systems for ideas. We help with startup companies, helps run a business accelerator, and it provides financials for economic growth. Um, so that's, you know, it benefits the manufacturer by providing resources to the product to life. Um, so, you know, it's just a couple quick final tips. Uh, again, know your contract manager, get to know their goals, um, know how they function within the system. Pr help provide real-time data during brainstorming ideas with your contract manager. Um, being able to provide that data real-time does go a long way. Always have a product cross-ready to all your competitors within the category, because whether it be due to weather or logistical errors, there's always back orders. So being able there to assist right away could go a long way. And know your reimbursement for your products, whether it's your CPT codes, your APCs, your pass-through codes, add-on codes, et cetera. So with that, I will turn it back over to Alistair. Thanks, Todd. That was a really good and comprehensive overview. Um, I can tell you guys that the, the takeaway from all of this, really, when you boil it all down to brass tacks, is probably three things that you should consider based on what Todd had to say. Uh, one of those things is uh, that over time, over the next year, over the next five years, device makers will become more and more consultants and managers of the business. Uh, that will be the expectation based on the information that Todd provided you. Uh, it's going to take you, you're going to have to become a consultant. You're going to have to become an episode manager to really understand your position within that disease state. And you're going to have to be able to control the room from a clinical perspective, whether you're in the operating room, whether you're in sterilization, no matter what part of the hospital you have to be in. Uh, so that would be the first takeaway. The second takeaway is uh, device makers will probably uh, have to vertically integrate by investing in healthcare providers. We're seeing more and more strange bedfellows coming together with providers and payers um, making uh, contractual arrangements together in the case, uh, case in point, High Mart Health and AGH, uh, which Todd is a part of. Um, and it's gonna be really, really important that as uh, medical device companies moving into the next stage of episodic uh, care and episodic sales, if you will, uh, that we be get involved in those kinds of um, contractual arrangements as well. And then finally, I, I would say that the, a major takeaway, something that we're probably all hearing about right now uh, and getting involved in now is um, a risk contracting. So device makers will become more and more the actual risk bearers along with the providers. Um, and we're seeing that because of these three reasons. Um, more and more ACOs are, are popping up. Uh, back in 20, just 2016, we were somewhere in the 400 range. Uh, we are now at uh, 650 uh, thereabouts uh, accountable care organizations that are now getting paid for value-based purchasing, uh, all of the never events uh, that they're able to uh, keep away from and preventing sort of the, sort of the hospital readmission and admission uh, programs. That's a big deal. And, and as a result, uh, they're being asked. They're asking us to sign up for more risk. Uh, capitated models are coming up. Uh, obviously, the ACO and the two-sided risk models, where they're getting paid on the upside, but also losing on the downside, puts a lot of risk on our providers. Understanding it, understanding how we fit into a bundle payment, um, is is becoming more important as well. Um, and then 
finally, uh, from the provider's perspective, you know, they're getting involved in uh, insurance exchanges as we are seeing more and more Medicare Advantage, uh, more and more uh, federal government takeover of the health system and private insurance decrease in the, in the health system uh, as with Medicare Advantage, where they're getting approved uh, to be able to sell government pr uh, products. Um, we're seeing narrower networks. Uh, we're seeing a more accountability being put on the consumer. All of that equals risk for us. So um, one of the things that CMR teaches really well is uh, risk contracting. So I'll talk about it from two perspectives. You have risk contracting and you have your value proposition. Those are probably the two things that are going to be kind of going to become more important uh, and more immediate for you right away. Uh, from a risk contracting perspective, um, again, the problem that we have is less patients, less procedures being done, and less money being reimbursed to the hospital system. I can't think of uh, a more perfect storm. So as a result, signing on to risk contracts is going to be uh, give us the ability to be put in a position where the lion's share uh, of the uh, of market share uh, comes to us. Uh, so if things are in, in terms of the amount of procedures that are being done and the amount of patients that are being seen, obviously it, it limits the amount of products being used. But every time a product is pulled, we want to make sure that that product is ours. So uh, in thinking about putting together risk contracts, um, there has to be a level of commitment and trust in terms of putting together your structural design for your, your contract. I clearly defined terms and metrics, and this is probably the most important piece and the piece that gets lost a lot is the metrics. Uh, what are those terms? What are those metrics? How are they measured? What can we agree to? Um, and in terms of uh, holding folks accountable uh, to sharing that information and providing that information up and down the organization, that's where a lot of times from a risk contracting perspective, things get lost. Uh, CMR will teach you how to, how to look at those things and, and be able to uh, put a program in place that um, is really easy to navigate for both yourselves internally uh, and the provider in terms of administration of the risk contract. Procedure guidelines and the actual products that are going to be used. Um, and here is the uh, where it becomes really important for account executives and corporate account directors to become episodic managers, to really understand the care pathways that need to be put in place for these patients, what happens from the day they walk in through the front door in the ER, and then finally end up on the operating table, and what is the correct and most efficient pathway uh, to treating that particular patient, because that has to be established as well. Uh, based on that, what product should be pulled, uh, and in some cases, it may not be your product. So those are the things that you want to think about in terms of um, uh, the products and services uh, that you provide in putting together a, uh, a structured risk contract for your um, for your um, your, pro your providers. The final thing I would say is um, really in thinking about uh, CMR's uh, workshops, and, and trust me, CMR is not the only company out there. Um, I'm biased, obviously, because they just happen to do it the best in terms of linking you with what's going on in the regulatory market, how it's affected your customers, and what it's done to your business. Um, they, but they build a solid platform uh, that talks about um, – that, that is uh, focused on e-learning modules and then uh, live workshops to help you pull through that information. Um, the, the type of risk contracts, if I go back to what we're talking about in terms of risk contracts there – uh, that you're, you're probably going to see the most in the marketplace are uh, performance agreements, uh, episode of care agreements, and outcomes-based agreements. Uh, a lot of that, behind a lot of that, is a ton of information uh, that needs to be known by your contracting directors and your account executives who are managing those accounts. Um, really key and really important 
to be really good stewards of a risk contract because uh, you put, obviously, uh, as the name implies, you put the company at risk um, in putting together these contracts, but the rewards can be very, very great for you. Uh, I would encourage anyone who hasn't seen any uh, or uh, has not had the opportunity to look into risk contracting uh, to take a look at uh, what's offered through uh, the CMR platform. With that, I'll open it up to any questions that uh, anyone uh, might have. Um, Brittany, we can kind of skip the last one because we're running out of time there. But um, in terms of any questions that anyone might have, I'll just open it up for the last two minutes. Sure. I think that you know one of the questions I saw come in was around kind of that shift to value. So how do vendors offer more value? Todd, you want to take that? Sure. So, I mean, other aside from just line item pricing, that I mean, that aside, like I said, being able there, even if you don't have the contract, or if you do have the contract, being there with your business reviews, either quarterly, semi-annual, um, making sure the landscape of the contract is up to snuff, make sure there aren't any product or service issues going on in your facilities that you might not know about, um, just really working lock and step with your contract manager through that entire life uh, product life cycle from inception from you first engaging the physicians all the way down to the distribution and the stock room conversions as far as the par stock so i mean without being pushy just make sure that you're involving yourself in each one of those processes because myself as a contract manager like i said i'm managing it would be it would be like a vendor who has to manage a territory with a hundred different facilities independently of each other it's, it's impossible for me to be an expert on everything so being there as a true partner and helping me with every step that that goes a long way in providing value hey Brittany, and, and just to add to that in 30 seconds or less it really does take vendors who are willing to put together an approach a really comprehensive approach behind their products and services that includes a field approach Obviously, making sure that you have a, the right value proposition to go to market strategy, an educational approach that includes CME accreditation, any of those value adds that you can provide for the entire system, uh, and then finally, value that you can bring in putting together risk contracting, uh, any sort of uh, bundle programs where they can take advantage of bulk buys and things like that, but really thinking through that strategy. If you have the three-legged stool, the, the field, the education, and the value, you put, you put yourself in a really good position to be successful. Hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Don't let the conversation stop here. Connect with us on LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter, and reach out today to learn how your organization can succeed in today's marketplace.